All right, good evening and welcome once again to discipleship class. And tonight we're on class number 17 and uh, Christmas is fastly approaching, rapidly approaching us and we're uh, getting stoked about that for sure. So anyway, um, it's great to have everyone in the room with us. Great to have all of you who are with us online and we're excited about the content of our class tonight. Things we're going to be talking about, things that I believe will be a blessing and a benefit uh, to you, and some important stuff, amen, stuff that uh, sadly is not talked about, I think, enough in the body of Christ today, things that Satan tries to keep us from ever hearing or embracing, but we're going to lean into it tonight, amen, open hearts, open minds, uh, understanding what the will of the Lord is, not what we think or what we want, but what he thinks and what he wants, amen. All right, well, let's pray, and, uh, and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the love that you have for each of us, the patience that you have with each of us, the mercy that you've shown to each of us, Father, the grace that you have given to each of us, Lord. It is beyond our ability to comprehend uh, when it comes to the full dimension of your love for us and your purposes for us. And so, Lord, we recognize you as our creator. We recognize you as our Father. We honor you as our God tonight. We present ourselves before you as living sacrifices. Lord, help us in the process of renewing our minds that we might become living proof of a living God, proving, Lord, your good, acceptable, and perfect will in this created realm. Thank you, Father, for the purposes for which we were created. Thank you, Father, for the identity that we have as your sons and daughters in the earth. And, Lord, thank you for what you made us, uh, Lord, in helping us to understand these things in a foundational way for our lives. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season. Lord, we know that some rejoice during this time of year. Others struggle because of uh, issues they may be dealing with in their lives, families, loss of family members this year, things of that nature. But Lord, we just know that it's, it's really all about you, just like every other day of our lives. But Lord, just as we recognize and honor uh, this Christmas season and Jesus coming to the earth and the hope that we have because of him. Lord, may we find joy uh, in the true meaning of Christmas. And Lord, we thank you for it in, in his name. In Jesus' name we pray to you, Father. Amen, amen, amen. All right, praise God. Let's do um, a little bit of review. And I'm not going to go through the whole list, all right? But, you know, we're talking about um, understanding our purpose which requires us understanding our identity, which requires us understanding our origin. Jesus said he knew who he was, he knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, he knew why he was here. And it's sad to me that so many people on planet Earth, and not just of the general population of the Earth, but so many of God's own children, do not know the answers to these questions, even though Father God has published them for us in His Holy Word. And it's of no coincidence, um, some of the things we're going to be talking about in the evening service tonight is, is that, you know, Satan is trying to keep us from experiencing and enjoying the life that God created us to live. So it's not a neutral world. You hear me say that all the time, both here at Heritage, at the Foundry, other places that I teach. I feel like we need to be reminded of that, um, that there's, a, there's an active enemy who's trying to separate you and me from God's best. He's trying to steal from us. He's trying to cheat us out of um, our rights and privileges and blessings and benefits as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the more ignorant we are of um, 
God's truth and God's word and God's wisdom, the easier it is for Satan to uh, accomplish his desires and purposes in our lives. That's why as disciples, amen, got to get amen, we're, we're disciples, amen. right? We've made this uncommon commitment to uh, walk alongside Jesus and allow him to teach us things that only he knows and that we can't learn or hear from anyone uh, else. Now, we are focusing on this question, what is man? Um, we see this in different places in the scripture where the psalmist asked this, James asked this. And without, you know, again, going back over everything, remember, um, you got to know what you are to understand who you are, and you got to understand who you are to know why you are. And your purpose is so grand, it'll sail clean over your head every time until you have some foundation to rest it upon concerning your identity. Your identity is so grand that it too will sail clear over your head unless you have some foundation of what you are to rest it upon. And so one of the first things that we've looked at, and this is number one, we should get to at least number two tonight. But we said the first thing is that man is a God-class being. Man is a God-class being, all right? And um, just, again, a brief review from last week. We said your number one purpose and highest calling in life is fellowship with God. All other purposes are not only secondary to this purpose, they are dependent upon it. And as I mentioned last week, obviously this word has purpose in it three times. This, this slide, rather, has the word purpose or purposes in it multiple times. Um, and even though we're talking about what we are, I'm trying to help you understand these things, one thing in light of the other. And so, and, and obviously to understand how these things are related. Uh, another key point that we made uh, last class is that compatibility is determined by comparability, okay? So we see that there was, of all the things that God created, there was none comparable to Adam, it's because the only other living being that was comparable to Adam was God. Um, no other living thing was comparable to him until, of course, he uh, took uh, from Adam and made Eve. Okay, So when we talk about what it is that God created us to be and the, and the, and the way in which he created us and the place that he created us to occupy, remember God's one, you're two, angels are three, all of this has to do with his desire for us and his desire to have fellowship with us. And I use the example of uh, my, uh, my puppies in my office, you know, hung out with me this afternoon. Um, and, um, you know, my son, and, and while I have a relationship with both of them, because my Yorkshire Terrier is not comparable to me, um, there is a limit in the compatibility. Uh, we've never sat down and had a conversation. Are you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Amen. Or at least one in English. Let me say it that way. Praise God. So we have to understand that we were made in the image and likeness of God. What is man? Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. This means a God-class being created to look like God looks and to function the way God functions, comparable to Him. Not the, same, not the same as him. I'm not saying, uh, we've looked at that verse, though, where the scriptures say you are God's, lowercase g-o-d-s. I know that makes a lot of people nervous, but, I mean, Jesus confirmed it, right? Um, so the, the, the purpose for looking at these things is not, you know, as I said last week, to go home 
visit your family for Christmas and announce when you walk in the door, by the way, I'm a God. That's, that's not it. It's to understand these things is that God created us uh, a God-class being so that we would be comparable to him in, in order for us to be compatible with him. Compatibility, fellowship. So again, your number one purpose, highest calling in life, is fellowship with God. All of the purposes are not only secondary to this purpose, they're dependent upon it. Okay? You want to be a better spouse? Fellowship with God. You want to be a better mother, better father to your children? Fellowship with God. You want to be a more effective minister? Fellowship with God. You want to be a better person? Fellowship with God. You want to uh, be a better artist, a musician, whatever it is that you're called and gifted to do. All these things, now notice, we've gone identity, purpose. We've, we've gone up a couple of layers. But when we say it's, your, it's not only your highest calling uh, and number one purpose, any other purpose, any other role, any other assignment, any other identity that God has for you, uh, your effectiveness in that role, in that identity, in that assignment, is going to, be, is going to go back to your fellowship with God, okay? And so again, remember, Father God chose to create you comparable to Him so you could be compatible with Him. We're basically saying the same thing a different way. But the key thing I want to emphasize here is that Father God chose this. We, we, we didn't choose this. Um, Rich Mullins, he's with Jesus now, um, he wrote some amazing music um, back in, in my teenage years. Um, he, he was actually uh, went home to be with Jesus via a plane crash. Um, but there's a song that he wrote, and, and there's a line in it. He says that he didn't make this up, but this is what made him. Do you see the difference there? Now, I'm not making this up. I'm reading it to you from the Bible. Uh, but not only is this not something, is that a double negative? This is not something that I made up. It's instead something that has, has made me. This is, is the heart and the will and the plan and the purpose of God. And so let me run just through some of these things. Um, you were created by God to bear His image in this created realm. Okay? You were created by God to rule and reign over all the works of His hands. I know these all go to purpose, but remember I asked you the question towards the end of, of class last week, which came first, you or your purpose? Which came first, man or God's purpose for man? And, and the purpose came first, and then God created us in light of that purpose. So if one of our purposes is to rule and reign over all the works of God's hands, He's going to have to create us in such a way as to be able to fulfill that purpose. Are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? If, if, if one of the purposes that God had in mind for you and me before He ever created Adam, a single one of us, was to bear His image in this created realm, then he's, he's going to have to create us in such a way as to be able to fulfill that purpose. And by the way, angels, including fallen angels, are among the works of Father's hands. They're, they're all created beings. So when the Bible says that we're to rule and reign over all the works of His hands, that's over everything that God created. Now, we also see in the Scriptures a purpose, and we'll get to some of this in greater detail later. You are created by God to know what He knows, to see what He sees, and to feel what He feels. That's an amazing thought right there. To feel what He feels, to see what He sees, and to know what He knows. Which means you're going to have to be created in such a way as to be able to receive that kind of emotion, to receive and express that kind of emotion, to receive and understand that kind of information, revelation, uh, to, to be able to, to look at things 
the big word like mayonnaise in the scriptures is the idea of discernment. To be able to look at something and know what you're looking at when you see it. <laughs> I mean, anybody like me, you've ever looked at something, didn't know what you were seeing? What is that? What, you know? um, discernment is the ability to, to see into things, to be able to, to see beyond even the, the surface or the presentation of something in, in, into the deeper layers of it. Um, and so, again, all, all of this God had in mind for us to be able to accomplish. You were created by God to have close, intimate fellowship and union with Him. Amen. So that's not possible unless we're comparable to Him in some way. Let me run through a few more of these. You were created to love Him and be loved by Him. You were created to have conversations with Him. You were created to share your life with Him and His with you. You were created by God to be one with Him. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about this God who created us and loves us, okay? First of all, God is a relational God. The Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is an eternal community. They are an eternal community. And you were created by God in the image and likeness of God to be brought into, to be a part of this holy community. I read uh, multiple verses to you last week from the New Testament where God uh, referred to you and, and me as being one with Him as His sons and daughters. Where He, remember in the Genesis 1 passage that we looked at last week, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Plural pronouns, us and our. Then we looked in John 17 where Jesus is using those same plural pronouns, but He's not just talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and us. Amen. He, he included you in the capital U, uh, lowercase s, us. Amen. So you were created by God in the image and likeness of God to be brought into this holy community. So I want to just... I can really get bogged down here because this is such a, a, a vast and deep subject. That's not really my intention right now, but I want to at least touch on this for a few minutes to help you embrace this. Again, I'm well aware we're talking, we're answering the question, "What is man?" and and we're we're into why is man, but we're kind of reverse engineering this because remember the answer is which the question is which came first, man or man's purpose. And all of these things were, were, were not, you know, randomly selected after the creation of Adam. These were things that God had in mind for us forever, by the way. You are an eternal being, okay, uh, before he ever created a, uh, a single one of us. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about God, his nature, his character. Um, and what we see is that God, again, is a relational God and... Um, the Holy Trinity is an eternal community. Now, community simply defined, and, I, you know, I don't want to get too wordy here, but community, what is a community? Right, we hear that, you know, so I was raised in a community. Okay, okay, what is a community? Community simply defined is a group of people existing together. So God is an, an eternal group uh, existing together. A more in-depth definition is a unified group of people with shared attitudes and goals living and working together for one another's mutual interest and benefit. Amen? So as, as like, let's just use the city of Hueytown. That's where this church is located. 
uh, this city of Huey Town, it was incorporated. Um, the, the, the government here collects taxes. We have a very fine police department. We have a very fine fire department. Uh, we have a very fine uh, park and rec department. There's, all of these things are things that individual members of the community uh, contribute to uh, for, again, uh, the mutual interest and benefit of, of all. So people living and working together for one another's mutual interest and benefit. Now, it's maybe if we, if we can understand just a physical, earthly type community situation, you know, we have a, a, a foundation to, to then take it to the next level because whatever a community is amongst people is what God has been for all of eternity. Remember, the Holy Trinity is an eternal community, meaning what? They are unified. They have shared attitudes and goals. They exist and work together for one another's mutual interest and benefits. Yes? Okay. Oh, man, this gets me so excited. I don't, I'm trying to read your faces, but y'all don't look too excited about it. So let me keep going here. So, so let's go back to it then. So you were created in the image and likeness of God to be brought into this holy community. In other words, to... to, to Receive benefit from it and to bring benefit to it. Amen? Amen. To receive love from it and to bring love to it. Are, are you seeing this? I mean, so, so do you see why God had to, had to create you? Uh, what is man? Man is a God-class being. Do you see why God had to create you a God-class being? How, how could you ever be a, a member of this eternal community uh, if you're not in, in some way compatible with them? Okay? Now... Let me build on this just a little more, okay? So God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. So notice we got community, communion. So eternal community always has been, always will be. And, and they, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they exist in absolute communion. Now, when we hear the word communion... We, we often, at least if you're raised in church, we think of the, the juice and the wafer. You know, that's, we took Holy Communion, all right? Well, that's symbolic of a greater communion. So communion, simply defined, is an act or instance of sharing. An act or instance of sharing. Think about that now for a moment, an act or instance. So if, if, you, if you, let's say you have the community of Hueytown and, and nobody shares, Nobody pays taxes. Nobody. Well, then, see, there's 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 no mutual benefit, right? You know, no nobody ever picks up a piece of garbage on the side of the road. Nobody this, nobody. Let's well, just remember our time for all living in a dump, with houses burning and nobody to put them out, and crime with nobody to enforce the laws. And it, are you following? What I'm saying, okay. So communion then is an act or instance of sharing. So God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. Eternal community existing in absolute communion. And again, you were created to be a part of this community. As a matter of fact, I like to say it this way. You were created by a community, and if you notice, I put capital C uh, there, amen, for community. Amen. For community. So this, this means you have something to offer God. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? You have something to offer Him. It also means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, exist united together. They each have the same attitude of love and admiration towards one another and work together to accomplish the same goals and interests. Amen. Amen. When Jesus showed up here on the earth, He didn't talk about Himself. He talked about His Father. 
He always pointed people to the Father. And he told us, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come when I leave. And he's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about me. (laughs) Holy Spirit didn't talk about Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit talked about Jesus. Holy Spirit came to show us Jesus. Jesus came to show us the Father. Amen. Do you see how this works? Do you see the the, the attitude? Or we're kind of getting this this deeper insight into um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, let's look at this verse again. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. And I'll put them all up on the screen right quick. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Okay? All right? Now, this may seem a little odd to you, but the next group of scriptures I'm going to read to you are from Mark chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. And there's actually something that both of these passages have in common. So let's look at this one, and then we'll talk about uh, what that common link is. All right. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, uh, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All right. Now, you may be saying, what in the world do these two passages, one from Genesis, one from Mark, have in common? In both of these passages, we see all three members of the Trinity working together. Okay, In the first one, to create the world. In the second one, to redeem the world they created. And by the way, the word hover means to flutter. So we see the Holy Spirit hovering right in, in Genesis 1. Now we see Him uh, are fluttering, and then we see Him like a dove hovering, uh, fluttering in Mark, the first chapter. Um, there are three, three parties active in the creation of the world, God, God's Spirit, and God's Word. Remember, Jesus is the Word made flesh. I'm not trying, if you think I'm stretching that to fit, again, there's a whole teaching in the Scriptures on that because you look at Genesis and it's like, okay, all right, so God the Father, we know He's there because He's speaking, and the Holy Spirit because it says He's fluttering or hovering. Where's Jesus in all of this? He is the Word of God being spoken, okay? He is the, he is the Word of God. All right. Uh, the same three parties are present at Jesus' baptism. The Father, who is the voice, the Son, who is the Word, and the Spirit, once again, is fluttering like a dove. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one God, eternally existent in three persons. That's important, okay? It's not that sometimes He's God Father, and sometimes He's God the Son, and then other times He's God the Holy Spirit. No, each, each one of these are three uh, different individuals. I think I've shared this with you once before, but if you think in terms of water, water, uh, you know, molecularly, I guess, is that the right word, is H2O. Uh, but water can be liquid, water can be vapor, or water can be a solid or ice, right? And each one of those are H2O, uh, but each one has a different form and function. And that's the closest thing other than you on this planet uh, that you know to what a Trinity actually looks like. Remember, you are a Trinity. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. That's it's going to be after the first of the year. But one of the answers to what is man? Man is a a three yet one being or a three dimensional being. And we'll talk in great detail about spirit, soul, and body. So this God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three yet one created you, spirit, soul, and body, three yet one. But just to try to help you wrap your mind around this concept of God is three yet one, 
naturally speaking, it, it won't get you all the way there, but it gets you close. Water, three different forms, three different functions, but at, at the end of the day, as people say sometimes way too much, they're all uh, still H2O, right? So it's not three different gods working in harmony. That's not, that's not an accurate way of looking at it either. And it's not one God taking different forms at different times. It's, it's God is one God eternally existent in three persons. And we see that this one God in three persons who what? Know and love one another. Who know and love one another. So Jesus comes out of the water completing an act of obedience to his Father. I wish I had time to teach more on that right there. But this confuses a lot of folks. You know, why was Jesus baptized? It was a baptism of repentance. I thought he never sinned. I mean, was Jesus just getting cleaned up and, 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 and covered before he started? No, no, no. He never sinned. The Bible says, and if you read it carefully, when, he, when he's, John the Baptist was like, I'm not going to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, John, we must do this so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Remember, Jesus wasn't here to establish his righteousness. He was here to establish yours and mine. His righteousness was eternally established. So everything that Jesus did on this earth, he did as your substitute and as my substitute. He did it for you. He did it as you. And we see that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he wasn't doing it uh, for himself so much so as he was doing it for you and me. It's an amazing thought. Let me say it this way without boggling your mind too hard, okay? It's recorded in heaven, if you're a born-again believer, it's recorded in heaven that you answered John the Baptist's altar call and were actually baptized by him because Jesus has been made your right standing with God, which means you're given credit and reward for everything that Jesus did right. And of all the things that Jesus did right, he didn't make fun of John, he didn't laugh at John, he didn't rebel against John, he didn't resist the Holy Spirit working through John. He submitted to that, surrendered to that, humbled himself, and allowed John to baptize him. So that your righteousness could be complete. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Man, it's an amazing thought. Am I losing y'all? Okay, all right. Let's keep going here. So it's one God in three persons who know and love one another. So Jesus comes out of the water completing an act of obedience to the Father. The Father blesses, confirms, and covers Jesus with words of love and affirmation and praise. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, empowering him to do what pleases the Father. Do you see it? Do you see all three of them? Working together, common goals, common purpose, common interests. Okay. So Timothy Keller says this is what has been happening in the interior life of the Trinity from all eternity. Mark is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality, the meaning of life, the essence of the universe. Now, I want to try and, uh, and do something. Um, and sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't, but I felt... I felt compelled uh, to do it uh, for this evening. And so I'm, I'm going to read some things to you. And it's, it's a collection. Do you remember when I read the passage, those of you who were in those days, when I read the passage uh, from Rick Renner, because I felt like he best captured, um, you know, the part about the Word of God being living and powerful and the things that he had to say about that um, better than I think it's ever been explained or captured. And so I just read to you what he said. And there's a lot of things that we could say, and maybe we'll say some more about here uh, in just a moment. But um, there are a couple of three authors that have a lot to say about this. And I've kind of just copied and pasted some of, of their writings 
on this uh, subject. Um, they don't necessarily call it comparability, compatibility, but that's what it is. Um, and, uh, and so I would like to share some of that with you. Is that okay? I mean, you just kind of relax. Don't try to write all this down. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. And, and um, I, I just want to, I think it'll, it'll be of blessing and benefit to you if I just read it to you, okay? So let's start with uh, some quotes from C.S. Lewis. And we're going to kind of intertwine some of these. Some, a lot of this comes from uh, uh, Timothy Keller and C.S. Lewis, all right? Um, so C.S. Lewis says this, Christians believe that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. And that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. That in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. And now, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Or putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his place in that dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Now this is from a theologian, Cornelius Plantinga. He develops this further, noting that the Bible says, "...the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit glorify one another." The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another. Do you understand defer? Like if you stop and let somebody else go first, you, you uh, deferred to them. You, you, you put them ahead of yourself. Okay? You see, Jesus put the Father ahead of Himself. The Holy Spirit put Jesus ahead of Himself. And we see this, and it's a beautiful thing to do it and to experience it as human beings on planet Earth... But all of that originated, and in other words, God was doing that before Adam was ever created. Are you, are you hearing me? Man, this, oh, this gets me excited. I hope this stirs you up and blesses you like it does me, okay? So each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being in constant movement of overture and acceptance. Each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. Think about it for a minute now. God is others-centered. He's not self-centered. Are you hearing me? It's not, God the Father is not, you know, you worship me. You, no, He's focused on, on, on you, on, on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus is not me, 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 me. He's been given the name of every name. Right? But He's not, he's not focused and centered on Himself. And this is so important for us uh, to learn, and I've got to slide somewhere along the way on this, but, but see, this is why selfishness throws a wrench in all of this. You can't be selfish and participate in this eternal community for which you were created, for which you were made. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Think about this. If you find somebody you adore, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? It's sublime. 
That's what God has been enjoying for all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory, and so God is infinitely happy. And if it's true that this world has been created by this triune God, then ultimate reality is a dance. So beware of self-centeredness. That's the opposite of how all this functions. Lewis calls the Trinity a dance because they each center upon and orbit around the others. Selfishness born of pride puts you at the center and demands that everything revolve or orbit around you. Think about that now. Think about that now. That's, that's the life. That's the life that the devil... This is some commentary. On, I'm going to get back to reading some of this. I've got some commentary that... That's the life the devil's tried to deceive all of us into living, a life where everything revolves or orbits around us. My friend, that is, that is a miserable way to try to live your life. That, that, that means other people control whether or not you're having a good day. Right? Amen. Happiness is based upon happenstance. We don't usually use that word happenstance. We do use a similar word that means the same as happenstance. We use circumstance now. Happenstance or circumstance is, is referring to the things that are surrounding you in a circle. In other words, what's, what's going on in your life. And if you have favorable circumstances, then you're happy. If you have unfavorable circumstances, then you're sad or depressed or angry or whatever those particular circumstances, things standing around you in a circle dictate to you. So happiness is something that is determined by what's going on around you. Joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is something that comes from inside of you. It's something that is poured out in your spirit by God's spirit and has nothing to do with the circumstances around you, but has everything to do with the communion and fellowship that you have with God. Which means you can have joy even if the circumstances around you are miserable. Paul's a great example of this, right? He was, uh, him and Silas were chained in the, in the, in the latrine. The, the basement of the prison is where all the toilets flush. There's no toilets, okay? I mean, the, the misery, the stench, um, chained to the floor in that squalor. And the Bible says they were singing praises to God at midnight. John, the apostle John, John the Beloved, they tried to execute him and kill him. They tried to boil him alive in oil. He wouldn't, he wouldn't burn. They, they couldn't kill him. And so they decided on a fate worse than death. They exiled him to an island prison. Okay, We're not talking Alcatraz with buildings and guards. We're talking about throw you overboard and swim to shore if you don't drown and get past the reef. Good luck at surviving. And he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and wrote the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And we think we got it bad, right? Because it's raining outside. And they didn't cook our favorite food for supper or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Amen. So beware of self-centeredness. The opposite of all of... That's why, you know, selfishness born of pride puts you at the center and demands that everything revolve or orbit around you. Now, Timothy Keller expounds on this a little bit. And to me, it's one of the greatest images to make this point. And that's why I give him full credit for it and quote him on it and wish I could come up with something better, but haven't yet, okay? He said, imagine ten ballerinas on a stage and each one demanding that the other nine dance around them. That's no ballerina. That's no ballet, is it? Right? 
What makes a ballet beautiful is when they dance around one another, right? That's why Lewis refers to this as, as a dance, right? Uh, each member of the Trinity orbiting around the other, giving glorifying love to the other, okay? Now, um, so let me read. This is from, uh, more from Timothy Keller. The Trinity is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around Him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles in orbits around the others. If this is ultimate reality, if this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, then this truth bristles and explodes with life-shaping, glorious implications for us. If this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really all about. God is love. Lewis points out that the only way it is possible for God to be love is for God to be more than one person, for love can only exist in a relationship. Okay? I want you think about that for a moment. The scriptures say that God is love. And, and it may be a simple point, but to be honest with you, I had never really considered it until, um, until C.S. Lewis pointed it out for me. And that is the only way it's possible for God to be love is for God to be more than one person, for love can only exist in relationship. Now, let me keep reading here. But if from all eternity, without end and without beginning, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving one another, then ultimate reality is about love relationships. Some, some would say, well, he created the world so he could have beings who give him worshipful love. Please don't, please don't miss this part. Okay, this is really, really important, right? I'm going to start again. Some would say, well, he created the world so he can have beings who give him worshipful love, and that would give him joy. But the triune God already had that, and He received love within Himself in a far purer, more powerful form than we human beings could ever give Him. So why would He create us? There's only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. He must have created us to invite us into the dance, to say, if you glorify me, if you center your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you are made for. You are made not just to believe in me or to be spiritual in some general way, not just to pray and get a bit of inspiration when things are tough. You are made to center everything in your life on me, to think of everything in terms of your relationship to me, to serve me unconditionally. That's where you'll find your joy. That's what what the dance is about. Are you in the dance or, you, or do you just believe God is out there somewhere? Are you in the dance or do you just pray to God every so often when you're in trouble? Are you in the dance or are you looking around for someone to orbit around you? If life is a divine dance, then you need more than anything else to be in it. That's what you're built for. You are made to enter into a divine dance with the Trinity. The dance was not created for you, but you for it. We were created by God to love like He loves. If He is love, how can we bear His image and do any less? There are so many things we were created by God to do that would be out of reach for us if He had not made us God-class beings. I'm just sharing some of my thoughts on what I read to you, okay? It's important to note that God alone made the decision to create us this way. It's not like I said, you either create me like this at all or don't create me at all, okay? Amen? You glad I took time to do that? Yes? Okay, it's beautiful stuff, man. It's beautiful stuff. Let, let's, let's go back to one last thing, okay? Um, and we, this is something we've been covering off and on as well on Wednesday nights in our, in our worship service here. 
is faith is based upon the Word of God. Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But the Word of God is, you trace it all the way back to God Himself, right? And when God first spoke to Abraham, God's words carried very little weight. God told him that He had made him the father of many nations, and Abraham and Sarah laughed in God's face. His words carried very little to no weight with them, which is a real problem because if, if the Word of God has no uh, impact or weight in your life, then there's nothing in your life to support faith that'll enable you to receive the things that Father God wants you to have because you receive them by faith, right? But in order to fully you know, develop the faith that we need, um, you don't just start with God's Word. You have to understand God's nature, God's character, God's ability. Are you following what I'm saying? God's thoughts, God's desires, God's actions. When people in, in, in Matthew, and I may talk about this in the sermon tonight, I may not, but let me just share this. It's on my heart right now, okay? When Jesus was trying to teach the people about believing God for what they needed in life, their provision in life, He, he, he drew their attention to the lilies, the flowers, and He drew their attention to the sparrows, to the birds. And He said, my Father cares for the flowers and, and Solomon in all of his glory was never arrayed, never clothed like, like them. And, and he feeds the birds and if one of them falls to the ground and dies, he takes note of it. Okay. So think about just in that simple, in that simple uh, you know, revelation from Jesus, what is revealed to us about the nature of God, the character of God, the ability of God. In other words, we, we're wondering if he can keep up with us. He's not, he can't only keep... Not only can he keep up with you, he's keeping up with flowers and birds. Yeah. I mean, this is the ability. Remember, God's not a man. Okay. We try to understand God like he's a man. We think well, no man could ever keep up with that man. You know. but, but he's not a man. Amen. He's not a man. So notice how, notice how Jesus is, 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 is trying to help these people become men and women of faith. Is he's referring them back to things that God does, the desires that God has, the way God thinks. When he talked about not a hundred sheep and one of them missing, and, and he goes and finds, he goes out on this mission to find this sheep. He's revealing something to us about our Father. Are you, are you seeing this, right? Because he wants us to understand. You know, we, we're trying to have faith in a God we don't know. We're trying to believe what God said about our lives and the promises that He made concerning our lives, but we, we don't know little to nothing about how He thinks and what He desires and what He's done and how He does it and what His nature is and what His character is and what His abilities are. That's why, the, you know, start there. Ask Jesus to reveal these things to you. And then, of course, Jesus comes. We've covered this already, but I'll mention it again and mention it many more times before we're done, you know, with class 36, is that Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus, if you want to study God, theology, the study of God, Jesus is the, is the perfect way to study God because he perfectly declared who God is in, in living, breathing example here on this earth. See, it's, it's hard to trust what somebody says if you don't know anything about their character. You, you know what I'm saying? Somebody walk up to you and make some promise to you. Well, you want to believe it, but, you know, how do we know if this person even can do this? You know, or, or wants to do this. So, you know, do you realize how many people even 
when it comes to the ability of God, they don't question the ability of God. They question the willingness of God. It's not a matter of not of whether God can. It's, we know you can, God. We know you're able. We just don't know if you're willing. See, you, you, you never understand the willingness of God until you know his nature, his character, his ability, how he thinks, what he wants, what he desires, all these other things. And so when we talk about this, this dance, this fellowship with God, I've, I've, seen, I've been doing this a long time, and, I, and, and so many people, and I'm, I, I guess I've, I'm not, maybe I've been guilty of this in the past, at least when I was less mature than I am now, and I'm not saying I've arrived yet, okay? But I've seen so many people over the years, they're looking for some kind of formula. They're looking for some kind of, you know, three-step, four-step, ten. I don't care if it's 20 steps. You know, just tell me what i got to do, right? But, but what they're really saying is, Tell me how to have God's best in my life without having to listen to God, follow God, humble myself before God, fellowship with God. And it, it, God set it up where it'll never work, right? Jesus told us this parable of a man who had two sons, and it turns out neither one, they both went the opposite directions. Both of these sons wanted what their daddy had. Both of these sons wanted their daddy's help, but neither one of them wanted their daddy. Neither one of them wanted what daddy wanted with them, and he wanted fellowship with them. Amen. Amen. So this, this, this goes to nature, character, ability. Um, we li- remember now, we live in a, in, a, in a world that's been cursed for Adam's sake because of the sin. Um, what was the crime rate in heaven this morning? <laughs> you, you follow what I'm saying? No, 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 nothing, right? So you see the will of God three places most clearly. In the garden before sin, in the earth life and ministry of Jesus, and what we know heaven one day be like. And we, and we look at this world and, and all the, 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 the sin and the evil and the darkness and, 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 and things that, the hate and the violence and all this other stuff, and we think, man, you know, where's God? You know, sort of stuff. None of that's God's will. None of that is God's design. None of that. that he put us in charge and we flew it into the side of a mountain. And are dealing with the consequences. And He's there to help us. He's there so that we can escape the corruption that's in this world because of men's lusts and sin. He's there to help us rise above all of this. He wants to put you on a pedestal, make you a light, make an example out of you of His goodness and kindness and mercy and grace. You a living sacrifice, becoming living proof of living God, living out in your life, putting on display that God, God's living for God is profitable, living for God is beneficial, living for God. All these things, right? All these things. But see, that's why self-centeredness is the enemy to all of this. It's the enemy to all of this. It's, it's, okay, let me just, let me keep going here. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, and we'll look at 1 and 2. These are some amazing verses here, all right? Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Imitators of God. <laughs> really? Could we ever do that if we weren't God-class beings? If he didn't create us with the capacity to be able to walk that out and fulfill that. Amen. Let's keep going. We'll come back to that verse in the days ahead. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44, and uh, we'll go on into 48. But let's start with these two, okay? 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you, verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only... Um, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect. That word perfect there means complete, well-rounded, full circle, okay? You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect, complete, and well-rounded. So when we talk about God-class beings, you may have never heard it said that way before, but we clearly um, see this uh, spelled out for us um, in the scriptures, all right? Let me give you, uh, we'll do a couple more and then we'll, we'll try to move on to some new stuff. Is that okay? You still with me? Yes? All right. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Now, there's some heavy stuff right here. When this was originally written, it was not written in chapter and verse. Okay, The chapter numbers and the verse numbers were added later so that no matter you know, what Bible you have, we can all you know, assemble or turn to the same verse. You know, it's not like, okay, turn to page 48 in your Bible. So well, they'd you know, be different all the way around. Now, I point that out, even though you may have already known it, is... Um, let me put it back on screen. If you notice, verse 22 ends in a comma. Verse 23 ends with a lowercase w, which means when this was originally written, it, it, it flowed all the way through. And I want you to notice that he's given Jesus to be head over all things to the church, comma, which is his body. So let me take the chapter uh, and verse numbers out. And, and this is what it says. The church, the church, which is his body. The church, church, by the way, here is ecclesia in the Greek, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. And ecclesia means the called out ones. We, we, we've been called out from, we've answered the call of God, we've received His gift of salvation, we're citizens of His kingdom now, uh, we're in this world, but we're not of it. We are the church, which is the body of Christ, the church, which is His body. Now, notice the church, which is His body, is the fullness of Jesus... And he is the one who feels all in all. Okay? Feels all in all. So he's in us. Amen? And we're in him. Come on now. Have I gone too far for you? Are you good with me now? Are you seeing this? Okay? So we're not, we're not just talking about something symbolic here. That's one of the tricks that, that Satan, and he uses a lot of organized religion to do this. In, in, there's a lot of symbolism in the scriptures. Don't misunderstand me. But there are a lot of things that were never meant to be thought of or taken symbolically. They're to be taken literally. Yet when we, when we wind up taking those things uh, symbolically instead of literally, we miss the, the real punch or the real power that uh, resides in these things. And so let me give you an example here. Just uh, a, a few verses over uh, in Ephesians 5 and verse number 30. It says, For we are members of His body of his flesh and of his bones. 
Wow. Of his flesh and of his bones. Let's take it on home a little bit more. Acts 22, 7 and 8. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I don't think he said it like that. Okay, who are you, Lord? Like Mr. Rogers greeting, you know, the neighbor. Okay, so, no, no, he was like, I mean, if you remember what happened, he'd just been, you know, he just had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. The brightness of his glory blinded him. You ever heard, knocked off your high horse? Well, that's what happened to Saul, knocked him off his horse, right? And um, so I believe it was a little more urgent and, you know, who, who I don't know, I'm going to try to act it out, okay? But, you know. Who are you, Lord? You know, that's not how he said it, okay? Um, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Why are you persecuting my followers? Is Is that what it says? No. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Whom you are persecuting. Well, at this, this was, of course, before the Apostle Paul, who was originally Saul. God changed his life, changed his name. He thought that Jesus was a, 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 a con man. He thought the people who followed him were deceived and that they were a threat uh, to um, uh, the Jewish religion. And um, a lot of Jewish leaders felt that way, but Paul and his passion, uh, he set out to, to stomp out the beginning flames of, of Christianity. And he persecuted a lot of born-again believers and followers of Jesus, okay? So when Jesus calls him on it, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting the people who love me? Why are you persecuting the people who believe in me? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because remember, he's the head, we're the body, members of his body, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. So when someone persecutes a born-again believer, they're at the same time persecuting Jesus himself. This is God's perspective on it. What is man? We're God-class beings. This is how we may not see ourselves this way yet. We may not think of ourselves this way yet, but that's, that's what needs to change. Okay? How about this? Jesus said, if they receive you, they receive me. If they reject you, they reject me. There's so many verses. I'm just, amen. All right. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He, Jesus, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I've already looked at that verse once, but I wanted to bring it back up again in light of the things that we have covered in between last week when we read that verse to this week. Okay, As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Amen. Are we his followers? Yes. Do we believe in him? Yes. Do we love him? Yes. Do we obey him? Yes. All of that is true and thankfully, okay. But when we talk about what is man, man is a God-class being. Father God does not just look at you as a follower of Jesus. He looks at you as a member of his body, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. If something's done to you, it's done to him. Wow. And that's good or bad. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, I can honor God by honoring you. I can bless God by blessing you. I can love God by loving you. Amen. Are you seeing this? Okay. 
All right, let's, uh, let's move on. We've got uh, some time left. So again, back to this question, what is man? Number one, man is a God-class being, all right? And now, are you ready for number two? Number two, man is a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. Wow. A spirit being. A spirit being. Brother Donald, I wonder how many folks on planet Earth think of themselves as a spirit being. I bet it's a pretty small percentage, wouldn't you think? <laughs> a pretty small percentage, all right? But again, we're talking about what you are. And you are a spirit being. If I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and make a list of all the different kinds of spirit beings, would you place yourself on the list? I've asked people to do this in the past. And most folks come up with the answers, God, and then the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, or they come up with angels and demons. And certainly all of these are spirit beings. And the Bible talks about even a diversity of both uh, fallen angels as, as well as um, holy angels. And we see some of them have wings and multiple eyes. I mean, God's, a, I mean, you know, look at, look at a grasshopper for crying out loud. Look at, I mean, just look at all the things that God has made, you know, the, the creativity. And that was not lost on um, the, the spirit beings, the holy angels that serve uh, him and you and me uh, in heaven and here upon the earth. But again, if you were to make a list of all the different kinds of spirit beings, would you place yourself on the list? And it's sad to say most people do not. Um, and uh, it, when I ask a group of folks, what's the name of spirit being? Rarely, if ever, does a large group ever say, I'm a spirit being. But in reality, you are a spirit being. Adam was not aware of his physical body until he sinned. And he became aware of it. Am I the only one that, that seems a little strange to? I mean, it's like... He, he was so spiritually aware that he had no concept of his physical body. We see when the Apostle uh, Paul was taken to heaven, if you've ever read that account, and I think we read it in here several weeks back, um, he did not know if he was in the body or out. He didn't know if his physical body made the trip to heaven with him or if his spirit slipped out of his body and then returned back to it. Again, this was what Adam was experiencing before he sinned. Of course, after he sinned, he became aware of his physical body and said, you know, I'm, I'm naked. But until that point, he was so aware of his spirit that he didn't understand or was even aware of his physical body. Now, this seems very strange to us, understandably so, okay? But um, we live in a day now where people are so aware of their flesh that they don't realize they are a spirit or even have one, much less are one, okay? So do you see how, how uh, if you take dramatic and drastic and combine them together, you get the word dramatically. Do you see how dramatically different this is from the way God intended, right? Your, your physical body was always meant to serve you, you are a spirit. You're not your body. This body is the, is the tent that you, a spirit, live in. And the word tent is strategic because tent means temporary, temporary. I can say that word, temporary. Did I say it right that time? 
temporary, temporary, <laughs> temporal. Uh, um, in other words, you're not going to live in it forever. Right. When your salvation is complete, it's when you will move out of the tent you're in now into the glorified body, comparable to the born-again spirit that resides in this earthen vessel that we all are in right now. So it seems strange to us. You know, we, you know we're like, um, you know, how in the world could you not know you had a body? And heaven's like, how in the world do you not know you are a spirit? Okay? And Satan is hoping that you never understand this about yourself. What is man? Man's a God-class being, number one. Number two, man is a spirit being. You are a spirit being. Far too many people see themselves as physical beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We see ourselves as physical beings trying to somehow experience something spiritual. The reality is you are a spirit being experiencing a physical reality. And that's, that's too important to give it 45-second mention or whatever there. But I'm t- that's so critical right there. This, this is how off we are. Do you see why you'll never know um, why you already know who you are? You never know who you are. You know what you are. You're a spirit being. The overwhelming majority of people on planet Earth think of themselves as a physical body, a physical being. And, and give token men- mention to some kind of spiritual thing and even then it's like something spooky you know that that they talk about do you believe in ghosts you know it's like yeah i'm I'm possessed by the holy ghost i do believe in amen right okay so satan is hoping that you never see yourself as a spirit being and there's a whole lot of reasons for this again things that we will cover in greater detail in the future but see the devil always wants to draw you into a flesh and blood fight with him and the Bible makes it very clear, we do wrestle, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not, they're, they're, they're not guns and sticks and knives or fists, okay? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not material, they're not physical, they're not fleshly, but they are mighty. Amen. You see, Satan knows that as long as he can trick you into trying to fight him in the flesh, he's going to beat you every time. And he also knows that if you ever learn how to fight him in the spirit, you're going to beat him every time. So he never even wants you to to think of yourself or see yourself uh, as a spirit being. Now, let's um, let's look at some verses. Amen. Let's start with John chapter three, verse six. Jesus and Nicodemus, we've covered this multiple times, so I'll just focus on this one. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Remember, Nicodemus was trying to figure out how a man could be born again because he only thought of in terms of the flesh. Remember what he asked. He said, how can a man when he's full grown go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus looks at him and he says, listen, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. I'm talking about being born a second time physically. I'm talking about the spirit. And, and of course, you know, Nicodemus throws up his hands. I believe he's kind of frustrated. He says, how can these things be? And Jesus said, how are you a teacher in Israel and don't know these things? 
So he didn't know him because he had, he had gotten lured into, like, like all of us at one point or another in our lives, hopefully we're coming out of that or have come out of that, where he only thought one-dimensionally. He only thought f- physical body, physical being. James chapter 2 and verse 26. This is a really good one here just to make the point, okay? For as the body without the spirit is dead, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, you know, given this passage is the context of it is, you know, faith without works. But he makes the point here that the body without the spirit is dead. I told you there's one word that I want you to think of when we talk about um, uh, death, and that's the word separation. So to be physically dead is when your spirit and soul separate from your body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is when your spirit is separated from God. So death is separation. You can be spiritually dead, physically alive. Okay. So when the spirit separates from the body the body's now dead no longer animated doesn't mean it's non-existent doesn't mean it's non-existent right you understand that your phone can be dead and that could mean one or two things or both it could be dead because it no longer has juice or it could be dead because it's separated from the tower it's no longer receiving a signal you got juice but no signal or you got signal but no juice okay or you don't have juice or signal Okay, all right, and that was me uh, when I burned the motor up in a truck in the middle of nowhere one time. But anyway, that's another story for another day. All right, so it doesn't mean if my phone's dead, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Okay, so somebody can be dead and separated from the the flow of God's life into their spirit, and and they can be dead because they're allowing Satan to deceive them and separate them from the signal, God's, God's Holy Spirit communicating, revealing, leading, guiding us into all truth. But in either case, notice there's separation involved. Okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. The Spirit will return to God who gave it. Let's keep going here. Acts 7 and 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay. Now, when they murdered Stephen that day, his uh, stoned and bloodied, bruised, beaten body would have been laying there wherever it was that they stoned him to death. That wasn't Stephen. Stephen was absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? Once Stephen's spirit separated from his body and was received by the Lord, where was he? He wasn't laying battered and lifeless on the ground. He was with his Creator. All right, Luke 8 and 55, when Jesus raised the little girl from the dead... It says, then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded, Jesus commanded that she be given something to eat. Okay. So again, notice body still there. Spirit left. She left. Amen. But Jesus called her spirit back into her body. Second Corinthians five 
7 and 8. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord if you're a born-again believer. Okay? Now, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. We'll examine this drawing in greater detail in the days ahead, but you know, when I look at you, I just see one person seemingly sitting in that chair. But the mirror, remember the mirror? The mirror shows us things we can't see anywhere else. When we look into that mirror, we see that I'm not one being, but I'm actually three, a three-dimensional being. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. You are a spirit, that's the real you. Your soul is that part of you that thinks, feels, and makes choices. Your mind, emotions, and will. And then your body is, again, gloriously, wonderfully made. Um, but you're, again, I don't want to get too heavy on you without a lot of explanation. But your, your mind and your brain are not the same thing. Your mind is a part of your soul. Your brain is a physical organ in your body. And so in the same way that a hand goes in a glove and the glove comes alive, God has created it so that your mind interfaces with your, with your brain so that you can then give physical expression to the thoughts that you have in your mind. Amen? Okay. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. I'll give you a couple of more uh, just thoughts on this. Paul spoke of his body in the third person or even as an it. He said, I will, I, I, so, um, amen, okay, do this. Those of you on camera don't know what, I, what I'm doing here. Well, I'm not even on camera. All right, so I'm pointing to the Spirit. I, okay, I will not let it, body, rule me. Do you see the understanding that he had there? He referred to his body as an it. He said, I, Spirit, me, I'm, the real me is a spirit. I will not let it rule me. Praise God. All right. You, are you seeing this? I mean, it, it would be different if the Bible gave like token mention of this in, in part of one verse. But it's, I mean, the Word of God is, is chock full of this from uh, the Old Testament all the way through to the New. Let's look at a few more here. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, or that you would, or that you otherwise could. Okay? So, notice now, you are a spirit, you live in a physical body, and he says that this outward part of you, your body, this inward part of you, you know, who you really are, your spirit, okay? Um, they're at odds with one another. They, they want opposing things. They, they pull against each other. And uh, we then uh, have to... Do you, so do you see why the devil never wants you to know you're a spirit? And, and, and he wants you to think that the lust of the flesh are greater than or more powerful than uh, your born-again spirit and the Holy Spirit have become one inside of you. But, of course, situated in between those two is your mind, right? And, and, and the way you think. Um, and, and, of course, thoughts produce emotions. Emotions influence choices. And we'll get into that again in greater details in the days ahead. But I'm just trying to show you all these different verses 
that refer to your spirit. Here's a great one. I think we were talking about this in class on Tuesday morning at the foundry. Watch and pray, Jesus speaking, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there was this part of them, and it, that's the real you, right, that, that desires to pray, that desires to follow God, that desires to step out in faith, that desires to pay your tithes and, and be generous and all these other things. But then there's this other part, if, if, if we feed it and allow it to grow and become strong, it'll, it'll be constantly trying to override um, the real you, which again is uh, your spirit, okay? Hebrews 12 and 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Into the Father of spirits and live. So you are a God-class being. Amen? And you are a spirit being. See, there's all, all kinds of things. Let, 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 me, let me try to bring at least one or two uh, purposes into, into view here. See, th there are all kinds of things that are your purpose that you can never fulfill in the flesh alone. I mean, you need a physical body if you're going to do it here on the earth. Okay? Um, I didn't come up with this. I'm not exactly sure who did. But, it, it, you know, referring to our bodies as an earth suit... Uh, in the same way that uh, you can't exist in outer space without a space suit, you can't exist on planet Earth without an Earth suit. Are you with me? You following that? This is so important that we begin to, our minds need a tremendous amount of renewal here. Okay. So, you know, this, the sleeve, you see this sleeve moving on my shirt, okay? Uh, when I go home and take this shirt off tonight, it, that sleeve won't move anymore because I won't be in it. Amen? Amen? So it's just the clothes that I'm wearing. This physical body, it's just the clothes that you're wearing. It's not the real you. It's not who you are. It's so important that, that we allow the Holy Spirit to help us see and understand these things. So there are all kinds of things that we've been instructed, commanded, given power and ability to do. He, here's one. Um, Jesus said, you will lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Now, what happens, again, back to, you know, Satan and organized religion, in anything that requires uh, spiritual activity, right, and faith and all that, God working in you and through you uh, to accomplish, religion is always trying to make it something that you can do in your flesh. Here's a good one. Okay. Well, let me stay with this one. Lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That's the healing arts, Pastor Mar. That's, that's uh, you know, listen, I'm thankful for doctors. Don't misunderstand me. Um, uh, a doctor laid his hands on my dad today and helped him and ministered to him. I, you know, check up, whatever, okay. Um, and I'm thankful for that. But notice, there's, there, it's all, here, here's another great one, Okay. They shall speak with new tongues. When Pastor Mark, everybody knows that means when you get saved, you're not supposed to cuss anymore. Okay? No, see, again, 
Not cussing is something you can discipline your flesh. And we shouldn't cuss. I'm not saying that. But notice that we're always, religion is always trying rather to, to water it down to a level that we can, we can just pull it off ourselves through our own strength and ability. God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to, you're going to, Sarah's going to get pregnant. You're going to give birth to the child of promise. His name's going to be, you know. I, so what they do? Oh, well, yeah, it's just too hard. We can't do this. So he goes and has a baby with her servant girl. Notice he's trying to do in the flesh what can only be accomplished in the spirits. Back to that fellowship with God, knowing God, allowing God and, and cooperating and, and working together with God, allowing God to do in your life what he wants to do. So, so when he says you'll speak with new tongues, he's talking about unknown tongues. He's talking about the, the language, the heavenly language of angels. And that you will speak in unknown tongues. So all of these things are things, and I'm just trying to show you, the devil wants to downplay, give token mention at best to, you know, random and vague spiritual things and, and try to keep the spotlight and the emphasis uh, on our flesh and our physical bodies and what we can do with our own strength and ability. And, and, and in the process, stealing things from uh, the Word uh, of God and, and ultimately, I'm, I say stealing it from the Word, Stealing things from us that the Word of God clearly says are ours, belong to us, and, and things that are our identity and destiny and purpose. Amen. Amen. Okay? Because you are a spirit being, okay, <laughs> remember that um, physical things are subject to spiritual things, not the other way around. Do you understand what I mean by that? When I say subject to... The Bible says everything that we can see that's physical came from uh, a, a, a realm that's unseen, that's invisible. Okay? Physical, material things, the Bible says, are temporary. Things you can see are temporary. Things that you can't see, spirit things that you can't see, they're eternal. Temporary means it's subject to change. Eternal means it never changes. So the temporary things of the flesh can't change the eternal things of the spirit, but the eternal things of the spirit can change the temporary things of the flesh. We could say it as, uh, maybe a, a, a simple way, okay? I, I understand this is a, a rook card game terminology, but spirit trumps flesh. Now, we, obviously, you know, we can resist God and use our flesh to say no, and, and, but that, again, that's, that's the devil's behind that, ultimately a spirit being trying to steal from us the things that God says are ours, okay? All right, a couple more. We're about out of time. Uh, John 6 and 63, it says, It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Amen. Amen. Now, this one is uh, a little bit challenging. I think we've got a few minutes to at least introduce it. Um, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, let's, let's at least do this. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. What does it mean by losing heart, getting frustrated, getting discouraged, uh, giving up, quitting, okay? He says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what causes people to, to lose heart, what causes God's people to lose heart. It's when we get focused on outward things and ignore the inward things. It, it, we get frustrated. We, we, we feel uh, closed in. We feel overwhelmed. We feel... Uh, like losers instead of the victors that we are. We feel like victims inst instead of the overcomers that we are. Uh, when we uh, 
look at the seen things of the flesh instead of the unseen things of the Spirit. There's also a principle in this verse that we need to really embrace, okay? When he says the outward man is perishing and the inward man is being renewed day by day, he's talking about the same person. He's not saying one person's outward man is perishing while another person's inward man is, perish, uh, is, is, is being renewed or getting stronger day by day. He's talking about the same person who has the, the outward part of them is in a decline while the inward part of them is on an upward trajectory. One part is getting older while one part is getting newer. One part might start to slow down a little bit. Now listen, I same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us, making alive our physical bodies. Okay, With long life, he'll satisfy us. Amen. Okay, um, But the flesh that we're in right now, the body that we're living in right now, the earth suit that we have right now, it was, it, it's, it's not going to live forever. Okay, Your spirit is. You are a spirit, and you will live forever. The clothes that you have on right now by way of earth suit are not going to live forever. They, you, they will be replaced one day. All right? But he says that the outward man is headed in one direction while the inward man is headed in the opposite direction. Now, the principle then is two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. Now, I talk to you sometimes about these log jams, these traffic jams, and you remember that whole analogy? Anybody ever heard me go through all that? I won't, I'll give you an abbreviated version, okay? Three-lane interstate, um, two and a half lanes are blocked with an accident, and you got a state trooper who's directing traffic, and you have to, you know, and it's a parking lot for 10 miles behind the crash, okay? And you creep along, creep along, creep along um, until you, you, you finally get, um, you know, to free from it, past the log jam. Well, now you got wide open interstate as far as you can see with little to no traffic and all the police are back there working. Their In other words, you start making some, making up for lost time, right? A lot of progress really fast. Yes? Okay. So in our spiritual journey and growth and development, there are certain choke points, log jams that we come to that unless and until we get past those our progress is going to be slowed, if not stalled, altogether. And this is one of those choke points that a lot of people struggle to get past, but not us. Amen? You see, the world says if it looks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. Right? Because that's, the, that's, that's a one-dimensional approach. Does Jesus look on the outward man or the inward man? So you look on the heart or the height? <laughs> you know, he went to pick a king from uh, uh, Jesse's sons. You know, he's like, um, man, that tall, handsome one right there, he's got to be the king. And Father God said, no, it's not him. I don't look on the outward appearance. Look on the heart. I don't look on the outward. I look on the inward. Amen? Okay. So he's saying here that the outward part of you can be experiencing one reality while the inward part of you has a completely different reality. 
Let me give you an example here. The outward part of you can still be experiencing slavery to sin while the inward part of you is as free from sin as Jesus is. But see, somebody say, well, you know, talk like a sinner, walk like a sinner, act like a sinner. They're a sinner. No, if they've been born again, they're a saint who don't yet know how to live like a saint. You see this, right? So two opposing desires, two opposing realities, rather. I'm sorry, two opposing realities occurring in one person at the same time. I want to show you some more of this in the scriptures. But because you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, you're a three-dimensional being. This is why one part of you can be headed in one direction while another part of you or another reality is being experienced in your inward man. And so because you are a spirit and inwardly you're being renewed day by day, you're not getting weaker, you're getting stronger. Come on now. You're not getting poorer, you're getting richer. You're not, you're not getting worse, you're getting better, right? Amen, Amen. okay? Because that's the reality of, of your inward uh, person, amen, the real you, your, your spirit, okay? You are a spirit, okay? Um, wow. Wow. See, the devil wants you to... Do you see now, I made the statement earlier, I was, I'm, I'm, one last thing and then we'll pray, okay? Do you see why the devil never wants you to understand you're a spirit? As long as he can get you to think in light of and see yourself as, you know, a physical being trying to have spiritual experience and trying to, you're just trying to get into heaven one day, Pastor Mark, as best I can, you know. See, again, that's, the Bible says spiritually you're already in heaven. Do you know that? You're already seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That's the position of your born-again spirit right now. Amen. You get anything out of this? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of these men and women. Thank you for helping us, Lord, lay hold of your truth and your wisdom in, in, in meaningful, life-changing ways. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, your hand of protection over uh, all of us and over all of ours. And, Lord, our, our family and friends and our properties, Lord. Um, thank you, Father, that, um, that there will be no... Uh, harm or damage or destruction from the, the weather, Lord, that's coming through. And, uh, and we believe you, Father, for a, a great evening uh, of fellowshipping with you and fellowshipping with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we will have class. We will have class one week from tonight, December 21st. Amen. Um, I know that's getting close to Christmas, but we will be having cl uh, class and service on the 21st, the week of Christmas. So we love you. Thank you for being here. Good things coming. And uh, until next time, amen, you be blessed.